Welcome to the fifth episode of the Gen X Photography Podcast. Uh, I I guess I could call this (laughs) 5.5 because I already published episode 5, but I failed to listen to it beforehand, and so the, the music that I added was a little too loud. So I'm sorry for any listeners, uh, any of you listeners who have had to uh, listen to it and not hear what I was trying to say. <laughs> sorry about that. So anyways, here's my second go at it. I thank you for joining me. A lot to talk about on this episode. Uh, first off, a bit of news, uh, some good news in my opinion, and that is that five movie companies have signed a deal with Kodak to supply them with uh, with um, film for their movies. And those companies are Disney, NBC Universal, Paramount, Sony, and Warner Brothers. Five major movie companies. And again, signing a deal with Kodak for supplying them with film for their movies. I find that to be wonderful, wonderful news. I was reading an article in uh, Collider, on Collider.com, about it, and they were listing some of the movies that were shot on film. Of course, I knew that um, years ago, uh, Interstellar by Christopher Nolan was shot on film, and it's a beautiful film. Uh, You can... Not not only are the concepts beautiful, uh, it's a wonderful movie, but the fact that it was shot on film, you can actually see it. Uh, you can see uh, sort of the graininess of the film. It's, it's pretty cool. And I knew that um, The Force Awakens, the Star Wars The Force Awakens, was uh, shot on film. J.J. Abrams is a huge film uh, fan. But I saw also that The Rise of Skywalker was shot on film. 2019, The Rise of Skywalker, shot on film. That, to me, is quite amazing. What I find fascinating about this is that these filmmakers and these film companies, not just the filmmakers, but the companies themselves, are seeing uh, a value in film as a medium. Now, I'm speculating that maybe the, they're also seeing a, a rise in the interest in just everything analog, everything real instead of digital. Maybe maybe they're seeing that, I'm not sure. But nonetheless, it's heartening to see that these companies are taking stock in, in film uh, as a, a viable and worthy me- medium to shoot movies on. You know, speaking of Star Wars, I am a Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars like you wouldn't believe. And uh, I was born before the original original trilogy started. I was born in 1976. And so I was alive during A New Hope and Empire. And I saw Return of the Jedi as a seven-year-old in the theaters back in 1983. Um... That being said, I really, really love the prequels. Uh, they spoke to me. I know I'm a bit of an outlier, given my generation, but I really love the prequels. 
they are my Star Wars. Um, but you know, there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of digital stuff going on with George at that time. And as much as I love the prequels, I can understand now that, uh, you know, being a film shooter now, that film has a beautiful quality about it, not only with photography, but with movie making. And that's not to throw any shade on the prequels, because I will never do that. They are my Star Wars. Um, It's just interesting that when Disney took over, uh, J.J. Abrams wanted to go back to some older ways of doing things. Um, You know, practical effects, practical effects. That was what his mantra was. Practical effects. Um, And it was a beautiful film. And then shot on film. It was a beautiful film. Um, But again, not to throw any shade on the prequels because I am a diehard prequels fan and they are my absolute favorite. But anyways, I found this this news rather fascinating and, and heartwarming, in fact, because for so many years, uh, as a society, we have glommed on to this digital revolution. And yes, it is convenient. Uh, you can do a lot of things with digital, whether it's movie making, uh, film photography, uh, audio, which I'm doing right now, <laughs> um, or many other things. There's a lot of lot to be said for for the digital way of doing things. But what's missing is that human element. With the analog way of doing things, let's just say in photography, um, with the analog way of doing things, there was a history there, a long history of the development from the uh, camera obscura to early, early uh, explorations into understanding the way light affects certain chemicals or certain um, media way 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 back and that that continued development into the film that we use today and it's something very human very real uh, very textured very organic and that's what I love about film photography and so this news that Uh, Kodak and these five major companies are making this deal about supplying film to these companies. It's it's heartwarming because it's keeping that realness alive instead of acquiescing to the digital. Uh, Something that could easily uh, get out of our control. Uh, I don't want to get onto a, a rant about AI, but it it's just heartwarming to see that we humans, <laughs> we, we love what we make. So enough about that. I wanted to talk about a little, a little bit about uh, the film I've been shooting uh, over the last uh, couple of months. Um, when I first got into film photography, of course, I bought a, a few different kinds of film. I bought Vision 350D from Kodak, movie-making film. Um, I'd like to get that again because my first attempts at developing it were uh, (laughs) 
not so good. I was new at develop, home developing, and I made a lot of mistakes. But I bought that. I bought uh, Fujifilm Superior 400, kind of a grainy film. Uh, I bought Ektar, Ektar 100, Kodak Ektar 100. I bought super low ISO film from Kodak, uh, Eastman Kodak. 2254, which is that super low ISO, ISO 1.6. I'll talk a little bit about it. And uh, let's see, I've bought uh, Kodak Ultramax 400, uh, a few others, little, you know, single rolls here and there of other things. Um, but I wanted to talk about the super low ISO uh, film. Um, again, it's a 1.6 ISO, which is substantially slower than even what's considered considered slow film 100 speed when you have 100 speed uh, that's to be shot in bright daylight and with the sunny 16 rule if you're shooting in bright daylight you have your um, aperture f16 shutter speed at 1 100th and your ISO which is your film speed at ISO 100 1.6 is a full six stops slower than ISO 100. ISO 100, you break in half to go one stop, and that brings you down brings you down to ISO 50. You cut that in half again for another stop, you get 25, and then 12, and then six, and then three, and then 1.6. 1.6 is six stops slower than ISO 100. So it's incredibly slow film, which means that when you're shooting in bright daylight, in order to shoot at a respectable, doable speed of a hundredth of a second, you have to slow down or open up your aperture to ISO 2.0, or as I did, 1.4 to get a more more of a more of a bokeh but anyways um it's incredibly sharp film it's a really really clean grain-free film uh being at iso 1.6 but it has a, a particular quality about it um it sort of has a has a blue cast to it um the overall sense of it being a cool film, not a warm film, a very, very cool film. Uh, no matter what photo I've shot with it, it's, it's very cool, has a blue cast to it. And the first roll I shot, um, I, I messed it up quite a bit, but uh, nonetheless, the images came out that came out of it were quite astounding, uh, a very film quality, of course, being film. But since then, subsequent rolls that I've shot uh, of course, not every exposure is perfect, but uh, each exposure that I've shot has had this blue quality to it. I've also shot Ektar 100 quite a bit. Ektar 100 is a what's considered a slow film, although not nearly as slow as one point, the 1.62254 uh, Kodak film. I know I'm sure... Uh, giving a lot of these numbers out um but ektar 100 is touted by kodak to be the world's finest grain um and it indeed is very very fine-grained film i love this film shot it 
in warmer uh, times of the year. I've shot it in the winter, and no matter when I shoot it, it's it's beautiful, beautiful film. I love Ektar. Now, recently, I've uh, I discovered something. I think it was on. Facebook, maybe, on the Negative Positives podcast page, I'm not sure, but I saw something about red scale film, and I didn't know what red scale, scale film was. I thought maybe it was using a red filter. I, I'm, I wasn't sure, so I looked it up, and it's actually <laughs> uh, quite physical. You, you basically, essentially, take the, take the film, turn it backwards, and then re-spool it back. So I'll explain what I did. I took three uh, rolls of film. One was a Fujifilm Superior 400, one was a Kodak Ektar 100, and one was the Kodak uh, 2254 ISO 1.6 that I was talking about. I took one roll of each, made sure they were up to room temperature, took them into my bathroom, uh, closed the door, that's my dark room, made sure all, made sure that all, light was off and uh, or there, there was no light it was completely dark and what you do is you take the film completely out of the canister all the way to the end and then you cut about one inch away from the opening of the canister you cut the film perpendicularly to the length of the film as perpendicularly as you can and then you flip that film around so that the back side of the film is now the front side and the emulsion side or the front side, the side that would be exposed, is now the back side of the film. And then you tape it up, uh, very, you know, very thin tape. Uh, scotch tape is the best. It's uh, nice and smooth, uh, easy to load back into the film canister. Um, one layer of tape is fine. So you tape it up on both sides, spool it back into the, into the canister, cut off the leader, and make yourself a new leader on the opposite side so that you can use the film. And uh, then you have red scale film. So why do they call it red scale? Well, the reason is, is because that back side of the film, which is now the front side, has the red layer and I'm talking about color film here not black and white Um, it has the red layer of the film and then it progresses to the blue and the green Um, on regular film when you have it just as it comes from the factory when you expose your film and that light enters into the lens and onto the film it passes through onto the blue and the green and then finally to the red at the back with red scale photography it's the opposite it's passing through the red first and then to the blue and the green to the emulsion side so it's a bit of a different uh, process and when you shoot red scale film they advise you to stop down your exposure by two stops so if you're shooting ISO 400 rate it two stops below, which is ISO 400 down to 200, and then down to 100. That's two stops. Um, Conversely, you can shoot it at 400 and just stop down your aperture or your shutter speed. Um, So anyways, I did those three rolls. Fujifilm Superior, Extra 400, Kodak Ektar 100, Kodak uh, 2254 ISO 1.6. 
and currently I'm shooting through the Ektar 100 as a red scale film on my Minolta SRT 101 using my 50mm uh, Rokor 50mm 1.4 lens. Um, I've gone through the Fujifilm Extra, uh, Superior Extra 400 that I shot as 100 and the ISO 1.6 that I shot at ISO uh, 0.3. Incredibly slow film. Um, and what they recommended, what I saw recommended uh, for film is that if you hold up a little bit of the film, like the leader, leader of the film roll, hold it up so that uh, you can see a light bulb through the film. So you're holding it up between you and a light bulb, a bright light bulb, or the sun or something like that. Um, if you can see through the film, if it's transparent or translucent, then you can stop down your film about two stops like we talked about. If you can't see through it, then you have to stop it down even further. So let's say you're starting with ISO uh, 100, like the Ektar. You'd have to stop it down maybe three or four stops. So down to 50, down to 25, down to 12, possibly even down to six ISO. And that's what I've had to do with the Ektar because I could not see through the Ektar film. It's such a, uh, an opaque uh, emulsion, emulsion. Whereas the Fujifilm Superior was a little bit more transparent or translucent. And the ISO 1.6 was transparent. I could see directly through and see the, the light bulb without any trouble. Um, so my experience with the red scale film that I've shot so far, um, I've shot the Fujifilm Superior Extra 400 and the Kodak Alaris, um, or Eastman Kodak 2254 ISO 1.6. And with the Fujifilm Superior, the results were quite amazing. Uh, the, the photos that I got were not red scale at all. Instead, they were sepia. Sepia. I love photos that have that sepia hue to them, that almost, almost black and white, but not quite. It has a little bit of a tone to it. Um, that Fujifilm Extra made sepia film as a red scale doing the, the red scale process. Um, in addition, Fujifilm Superior to me so far has been kind of a grainy film, but done as a red scale, it almost removed the grain. So I quite enjoy uh, Fujifilm Superior as a red scale film. The uh, Eastman Kodak 2254 1.6 film, super low ISO film, as a red scale film was a truly red scale film. Now, I talked earlier about this this film having a blue cast to it. Well, shot as a red scale film, each photo had a definite red cast to it. I shot uh, a couple of scenes of, you know, a, a, a snowy field, hills in the distance, trees and cloudy skies, red scale film benefits from cloudy skies. And uh, I tell you what, the, the images coming out of that were <laughs> almost cata cataclysmic. They looked like Armageddon in the sky, like an impending doom coming from <laughs> somewhere else, uh, almost like 
what I picture a nuclear blast or something like that. It was uh, ominous, ominous. And even uh, macro film that I shot, or, you know, macro photos that I shot of things that I've uh, photographed before, little plants, leaves, things like that, uh, definitely had this ominous red overtone uh, to the photo, uh, to the photos. It, uh, quite, quite interesting stuff coming out of the ISO 1.6 film as a red cast film. And um, I'll report to you later on when I develop the Ektar 100 as a red, red scale film. So in, 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 uh, anyways, red scale film, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, another film that I want to talk about is found film. Recently, I went into a, a thrift store and I was looking for some just cheap old, uh, you know, point and shoot cameras, whatever. A lot of uh, thrift stores have them at cheap prices. And I found some. Uh, there was one that was a Sony easy shot I'm uh, not sure the exact designation but it was from the 80s a pretty robust uh, camera point and shoot camera but it was all electronic and it had a roll of film in it and it was dead it, uh, no matter I, I put new battery uh, newer batteries in it and it still didn't, didn't fully work so <sighs> I wanted to get that film out I love finding old film and seeing what's on them but being electronic, I could not rewind the film manually. So I had to, if I wanted to get the film, I'd, I would have had to have just taken the film out, opened the film back, or the, the back of the camera, essentially. And <laughs> Egads exposed that already shot film. I hated doing it, but I knew that there was a potential for there to be more film left in the canister, unexposed film. So I took my chances, and I saw that it was um, it was Kodak Kodacolor VR100. So long expired film. The last roll. I mean, it was discontinued in 1987, So it was long uh, expired. Um, indeed, there was a lot of film that was that I had to, you know, basically expose to bright lights ruining the film essentially but being a 36 exposure roll um, I know how long those rolls are and the exposed part of the film was not nearly as long as that so maybe 20 you know overexposed rolls uh, I'm sorry overexposed uh, photos with another 12 to 14 in the uh, canister or so I thought. <laughs> I uh, loaded it into a, another little point-and-shoot that I found, the Pentax IQ Zoom EZY, little point-and-shoot from the early 90s, early to mid-90s, um, that did work. And I loaded it into that, bought the camera with the film in it, <laughs> and uh, shot the entire roll, including the, f the exposures or the film that I, I know I wouldn't get anything out of because I exposed it to light. Um, well, when I went to develop it, uh, develop it, um, of course, the first 20, 20 exposures or so were it's, you know, ruined. But then after that, you know, being very, very expired film, it was quite dim. Uh, you could hardly see anything on it. But 
there were some images on it. And surprisingly enough, the person that originally shot that roll shot the entire roll, minus the last three pictures or so. Um, the reason I say that is that when I developed the roll, what I was expecting was that the film that was in the roll that I had not pulled out would be fresh film. But no, there were several images, interesting images of elephants, uh, people at parties, balloons on the wall, things like that. Very interesting photos. And then my photos superimposed upon those, so essentially double exposure. Um, looking at those photos, it looked to be that the film was ex uh, exposed in the, I would say, 1980s, maybe early 90s, but looking at the hairstyles of some of the people in it, the clothing, I think it was in the 80s. And that would make sense, being that that film expired or uh, was discontinued in 1987. Again, Kodak Color VR100, uh, an old film. And so it was pretty interesting. I love finding uh, found film. It's uh, almost a look into the past, uh, an undetermined past, a big question mark as to when that film was exposed, where it was exposed, who it belonged to. It's, it's fascinating. But with the double exposure, it just added a little bit of a character to it. A little bit more character than I than I realized. Um, now, the reason why I bought that little Pentax IQ Zoom Easy uh, Y again, that little tiny point and shoot from the mid '90s that I put that um, found film in. Um, the reason why I bought it is because coming up in April, I'm doing a, a workshop with some homeschool kids in our friend group. There's about eight to ten kids that are going to be taking part in it and they're so what what they're going to do they're going to come over they're each going to have a roll of film um one roll 36 exposures and they'll all bring their cameras i have a couple of cameras that they might be able to use and i'll show them how to to roll or to load that film into the, into the camera talk a little bit about film photography and how it's different from iPhone photography or digital photography, and then head off to some place uh, where we're at. Uh, it'll be in April, so hopefully the snow will be melted and there will be some green grass that, uh, that is available. Um, you know, warmer temperatures. And then just spend the day taking a photo walk with these, you know, young ones uh, that are homeschooling. And the reason why I want to do this is because, um, you know, nowadays people, you know, obviously shoot a lot of photos using their phone. There's no, nothing wrong with that, but I want to help them to understand where real photography comes from. Film photography, um, help them to understand that there's something quite magical about uh, shooting on, shooting with film. And then the next week, they'll come back and we'll uh, develop that film as a, as a workshop. They'll get their hands in, into, the, into doing it and then see their film, their film that they shot a week before uh, with their own eyes. And 
what I'm hoping is that some of them will take up the hobby and continue that that love for film. Um, now, one of the things I want to ask you listeners, if uh, if you so desire, is to let me know what kind of a film you think would be good for beginners. Um, I was thinking along the terms of Kodak Gold 200 or Ultramax 400. Uh, both of those are easily f- uh, found. Um, Fujifilm Superior 400 is a, a another film. But I saw also on the Film Photography Project Store uh, Kodak Pro Image 100, a slower speed film uh, that from what I see is actually quite a good film that's now available in North America. It was uh, for its duration in warmer climates like South America, Asia, Africa, and now it's available in North America. So I was thinking, you know, perhaps I uh, could use that. All of these films are relatively inexpensive, you know, for four dollars, four four to five dollars a roll for 36 exposures. Um, but what are your thoughts? What film would you recommend uh, for shooting for, for youngsters that are just getting into film photography or wanting to introduce them to film photography? Um, if you would not mind uh, sharing with me your, your, um, your thoughts about that, I would give you my email. And for those of you that listened to <laughs> the first edition of this episode, I gave you my, my personal email. Um, I just set up a new email for this podcast, um, and it is genxphotogpod at gmail.com. Uh, all lowercase, G-E-N-X-P-H-O-T-O-G-P-O-D at gmail.com, genxphotogpod at gmail.com. So yeah, if you want to reach out to me and and let me know uh, possibly what film you would recommend for new uh, film shooters, I would sure appreciate that. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, keep shooting that film.